Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Box and One podcast. Summer League, Dunzo. We're done in Vegas. Everybody is leaving the desert. The Portland Trailblazers are leaving with a championship. But beyond that, uh, it's been a really fun couple of weeks watching three different summer leagues and seeing all of the rookies, the young players that are going for more experience, get that and show their growth over the last several months. And here to break down some of the, the best performances we've seen, some of the major storylines coming forward, is our good friend, good friend of the pod, Maxwell Baumbach. Max, how are you, my friend? Good to see you. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me back on. I'm, I'm glad to be here again. I'm really excited to talk Summer League. Uh, it's just one of my favorite parts of the NBA calendar. It's always interesting. It's fun to get way too worked up about it. And it's, it's fun to, to take some serious glances at what happened and unexpected developments. Cause there was a couple of those and I'm excited to go through them with you. Well, you were the guy that we circled for this podcast. As soon as summer league was over, we said, all right, who's going to come in here and be the first person to break it down. And it's you, because I know you put together an amazing piece of work kind of at the midway point or a couple mm-hmm. days into the summer league, just breaking down some of the initial thoughts that we saw on guys. And, and like you and I are always going back and forth in Twitter DMs and making sure mm-hmm. we, we stay in contact about these things. So, uh, you know, it, it's certainly been a, a really busy few weeks of trying to just watch as much as we can here. But mm-hmm. I, I think what stands out is, you know, there were a lot of injuries in, at least in the top 10 of players that were, were drafted less than a month ago. And of those who made it, I thought everybody looked really good. So uh, maybe the best place to start is just with those, those top six guys and, and some major takeaways there. Yeah, that, that sounds great to me. And yeah, I, I'm again, honored that, that I was the person that you were looking at here is summer league progressed, but uh, I, as summer league continued on the one like phrase that kept circling around in my head was uh, from the, the, uh, the old uh, Arizona, I believe it was uh Dennis Smith, the old Cardinals football coach, when he yep. had the press conference, they are who we thought they were. Yep. Like we got a lot of that from, from the guys in the top 10, like these guys came in and they did the things well that we expected them to do well. And there were some additional things that, that we saw that I really liked and some, you know, areas of concern and things like that. But if we want to start out at the top, I mean, Paulo Bancaro came out and, and he, he looked like a number one pick. Yeah, he was, he was outstanding throughout um, really, really good. And only two games that he played. Uh, the, the thing that impressed me the most with Paolo was just the the polish that he has in terms of half court creation, understanding and IQ, knowing when to go, when to be more of a playmaker, you know, obviously the game winning assist and that overtime or double overtime session against the Sacramento Kings, he got to the free throw line a ton, average 10 free throw shots per game, mm-hmm. which when you're for me anyway, trying to look at number one options on offense, that's a huge deal to me. Uh, what, what little things about Paolo stood out to you? Yeah, I, the free throw attempts thing is huge um, because that to me was the biggest difference in terms of just consistency from some of his college tape to the NBA tape was just his willingness to mash those mismatches when he was getting smaller guys put on him. And college, I, I just felt like too often he was content to play pretty and put the ball on the floor and you know, do, do some nice dribble moves, the ball, take a jump shot. And he's, you know, still kind of got the advantage in the mid range. Cause he is so big that it's hard to get into a shot, but it was nice to just see him get a smaller guy on him and say, I'm just taking you to the rim. You know, I'm, I'm six ten, I'm two fifty, and I'm putting you under the basket and I'm putting the ball in it. Uh, so it was really nice to just see that aggressive streak out of Paulo. Um, and I think just aggressiveness as a whole 
was really nice to see. He maybe got a little too aggressive with this passing. I think he averaged like five and a half turnovers per game, but it's summer league. Like if there's a time to get too carried away with yourself as a playmaker, it is summer league. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought there were some nice defensive moments. It's hard to make too much out of defensive performance in summer league because of level of competition, the sort of free flowing nature of it. The fact that there's not as intense game planning and hunting and things like that to go on in a playoff series. But I thought in the moments where he had to switch down on smaller players, he looked pretty good. Um, yeah. Orlando has enough big versatile defenders. I think there is a chance he might be able to swing some five minutes at some point, just given the additional rim protection they might have around him. Um, but I, I just thought it was a really great, great couple games for him. Yep. Yeah. And, and I, I think he definitely silenced some of the critics about his defense, not, not mm-hmm. necessarily you know, he's an all defense type of guy. Like he's got his work to do. We still don't know exactly what position he guards in, like you said, in those playoff series and crunch time moments, but you know, he moved his feet well, switchably. He, he, he did compete on the defensive and had some really good rotations, was able to get out mm-hmm. and transition and play a little bit. So a, a lot of positive growth on that end that we saw from Palo, but very, very smart, very heady player. And one thing that always strikes me like guys look huge sometimes when they come over from college. Paolo looks huge. He looks uh, absolutely massive. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah. I, I think that there's, there's something to that of like, even, even if he's not the quickest guy in the world, it's going to be hard to just get around him because he's enormous. And I thought he was moving a little better too. Yeah. Like I thought he, he played lighter, if that makes sense on defense, because mm-hmm. on offense, I'm just talking about how he's playing everybody, but defensively too, I thought he seemed very light on his feet and engaged and he was getting places pretty quickly on those rotations. Like you mentioned, which that to me was kind of my biggest fear was I felt like the gray areas on defense were tough for him at Duke. Uh, there was a play that always sticks out in my mind where it's like semi-transition at the end of the game against North Carolina where him and AJ Griffin just got like completely lost and gave up a wide open layup. And like those type of things weren't rearing their head in summer league, at least. So it was nice to just see him moving well and knowing where to go. Yeah. So between him and I'm just going to, going to skip ahead to the fourth overall pick here, Keegan Murray. Mm-hmm. Uh, who yeah. Do you, who do you think had the more impressive summer league? I think Paulo did. And I, I liked Keegan a lot. Um, he's just really continuing to expand that shot making bag. And like, I, I know that Keegan gets like the, the boring criticism a lot and I just don't see it because this guy is so far removed from what I thought he was going to be. Like, I really thought he was just going to be like a, an energy four coming out. Like, and I liked him. I thought he was going to be a first round pick as energy four. I thought he was very good at it. Uh, but I think with Keegan, the defense was not, what I'd hoped at all. I thought his defense was really rough in summer league. Uh, and I I'm kind of bullish on his defense. Like I think eventually just his help instincts and aggressiveness and his speed off the floor and things like that. Like I, I really like Keegan defensively and I did coming out. I thought in summer league, it seemed like he was sort of adapting to where at Iowa, I think he kind of had a lot of free reign defensively to sort of do whatever you do, whatever he wanted, kind of go where he wanted on the court. He was kind of, a five in a lot of ways in college. Um, whereas here he's guarding on the wing more consistently. So, uh, and playing next to Namias Keda. So it's different when you're funneling guys to, to a rim protector versus you sort of are the rim protector. Uh, so I thought there were just a lot of adjustments and I, I'm not worried about it in the long run, but I just thought from an overall performance standpoint, uh, his scoring was excellent. Uh, he's really continuing to grow there. The footwork offensively is just so far ahead of where it was last year that it's 
I, I keep getting excited about like what unexpected development are we going to see from him next? But I thought Paulo had a better, better performance at, at summer league as a whole. Well, I want to run with the footwork thing when it comes to Keegan mm-hmm. Murray, because you know, you'd mentioned with Paolo, he, he seemed to be lighter on his feet. I thought Keegan looked a little heavier that once he caught the ball, he wasn't able to separate as quickly off the catch. Like he needed to play a very physical brand of basketball. And he's so strong. He can go through mm-hmm. guys. He's got, very, very measured ball skills where he, you know, he doesn't turn it over at all by trying to play too fast or out of control. So his game is still okay without that. But I thought there were a lot of times in isolations or when he's trying to take somebody off the bounce, when he just met resistance and couldn't really get inside of 12 feet to to the spot where like now he has to be a 37 to 40% three point shooter or above in order to really justify the type of volume in the NBA that he was getting this summer. Yeah. And I think he can be that. Like I, I really buy his shooting and like his just shot making ability in general. Um, But I do think, as you mentioned that it is interesting that all of his like positive footwork moments that step out to me uh, were things like step backs and things like that. They were about like getting space going backwards yes. versus getting that space in sort of a positive direction or going downhill or things like that. Um, which if he, if he can continue to knock down shots like he did at summer league, it's not a problem at all, but I don't anticipate that when you're playing against NBA competition all the time to, to stay that, that consistent and uh, be that potent of a score all the time when, you know, bigger, better athletes are defending you. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think that is a concern for him. And I think that combined with just the fact that he's never really been too much of a playmaker for others is still like the one hang up where he looked awesome. And I think he's going to be good out of the gate, but it's like, that's like the biggest thing inhibiting his offensive ceiling to me is that I don't see him as a guy who's really going to create for others or make defenses scramble in a way that even if he just plays a basic offensive game, there'll be very easy reads for him. It's not going to come easy to him. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, I think that's very fair based on what we've seen out of him at Iowa and, and thus far with the the Kings there, uh, you know, Bancaro and, and Keegan both had really excellent summer leagues. And I think that part of the reason for that is, is their game already had a lot of polish in terms of their half court execution. You know, the, the NBA increasingly from college, increasingly from high school, from AAU is a half court based game and Keegan and Paolo have the tricks of the trade, the IQ to get to their spots. They don't force overly too much. Like they, they know how to be effective in different ways. And that's part of the reason I think they were some of the best rookies that we saw this week. You know, the rest of the, the top six there, Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, Jaden Ivey, Benedict Matherin, all had some really impressive flashes. But I think the, you know, the negatives might have stood out a little bit farther from those four. Or there were just moments when they disappeared, for for lack of a better term. Uh, yeah. You know, Chet and Jabari, I think, are two fascinating ones because we saw both the ups and the downs, really, really high points and mm-hmm. some really low points. Uh, you know, I, I guess let's just dive into Chet right now, being the number two overall pick. I mean, what a freaking debut out in that song. <laughs> so I mean, great. That was just that first half, I remember I was actually sitting right where I am right now, watching mm-hmm. it as we were unpacking and moving things around here. And and I kept taking another peek back at the screen, like, Jesus Christ, did he just hit another pull-up three in transition? Did he just <laughs> another shot? Yeah. He came out firing. 
He did. He did. And I was sort of immediately having some regrets because like I, so I had him number two on my board, which is like, it's not bad. That's where he went. So it's, it's yep. justifiable. Uh, but to me, like the one thing that I argued about with, with my fellow no ceilings crew in the group chat before is like, I just didn't really buy like Chet as an offensive creator for himself. Like yep. the whole, like the, the high school mixtape stuff where like you just see him putting it on the floor, dribbling behind his back and whatever. Like, I just was like, that's not going to happen. Like, I just don't see him doing it that much in the NBA. And I understand like it didn't really happen to Gonzaga just because that wasn't his role in the offense there and things like that. But he hit like a couple just off the bounce shots in that game where I was like, oh, I might just be completely wrong about this. Yeah. And I, there's still a chance I might be, but it did, it did slow down for him on that sort of a offensive playmaking for himself scoring creation front yeah. as summer league went on yeah i mean he had that behind the back pull up three in transition and then he had the the dirk fade away at the right elbow that like yeah you can see the the high point flashes there but then we also saw how much physicality is really going to be you know hindering him early on in his mm -hmm. career when a guy like kenny lofton comes in and is is really going straight into his chest and there's not mm -hmm. much you can do when you're that skinny about it i I never held that against Chet because this is a process. I, I can't think of how many times we have seen young players come through the draft and everyone wants to talk about their frame, their skinniness. They don't have enough strength right now. And then three or four years later, once they've gone through an NBA strength and conditioning program, no one wants to bat an eye at that anymore. Like when was the last time you heard somebody say Brandon Ingram was too skinny to be a number one option in the NBA? Well, and, and that's the thing is like, and he's one of the few examples of somebody who like didn't get that much bigger. Like right. for the most part, it just, it just tends to happen. And yeah. when you're as talented as somebody like a Brandon Ingram is, which I believe Chet Holmgren to be, uh, typically it doesn't, doesn't hinder you. Um, but it's true of almost every player that comes into the league is, you know, they're, they're too small. They're too skinny. Most of these guys are They're They're still physically developing. They're 18, 19, 20 years old. So it's not uncommon. And I thought that as, as I started to get more into the draft and evaluation, it's been one of those things that like the more I talk to people that work in professional basketball, like you just hear it, it's like not a concern. Uh, yep. You know, you just mentioned, Oh, you know, this guy's a little skinny. They're not worried about it. So yep. To me, it's never been, you know, it's something you, you have some concern about because it is a weakness in his game right now. And I don't think it's ever going to be a strength for him. Um, but I would be more worried about it if he wasn't a great finisher around the basket or things like that. If he didn't have sort of the innate toughness, if he wasn't getting back into post plays to block shots when he gets pushed around, um, there's enough that it's, you know, I'm willing to, to overlook it to a degree. Yeah. And, and I think offensively, he's still figuring out how to pick his spots and when, you know, I agree with your pre-draft assessment. I had trouble seeing him as a, a high value self-creator in the half mm -hmm. court. I think that there's enough touch and shot making there that if you give him a long leash, he can make a lot of plays happen. But I think what we saw are the right physical defenders who can athletically crowd him and, and kind of force him to be more of a wide driver really do have success against him. So there's going to be in a learning curve, a development process, based on who is defending him as much as it is mm -hmm. about the skill that he has in his bag right now. Like maybe some tightened handling can help him a little bit more. Obviously core strength allows him not to get bumped off his spots as he continues to, to drive and meet resistance on those shots. But, you know, he gets to the free throw line a fair amount. He's knocking down shots at a high level. 
both from three and, and in the mid range. We know what he can do as a finisher. I mean, he's freaking 80%, 80% at the rim of Gonzaga. He, he's, He's yeah. so good in all these areas. You have to be able to overlook it and say, he's still mm-hmm. going to be a great talent. These are just small areas to work on between now mm-hmm. and when he hits his max stride in a couple of years. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Jabari Smith. Uh, yeah. I, I, uh, I'm writing a piece that's going to come out a day after this podcast. So for those, oh, of great. Us, okay. Yeah, everybody that's out there, it's Sunday night as Max and I mm-hmm. are recording. Uh, Monday morning, we'll have the podcast be released. And then Tuesday, I'm doing a breakdown of all of these six guys talking about their strengths, what they showed, doing a film breakdown of each of them, and then going over one area of improvement for each guy. The, the big thing with Jabari Smith for me, and I've been beating this drum for the better part of the last four or five months, is that he is wildly miscast if the expectation is that he's going to be a number one option and a creator mm-hmm. in the half court. He is an elite play finisher because he's mm-hmm. 6'10 and he can shoot over the top of anybody and he is a really good shooter. We saw two issues prop their head in Houston. The first is kind of with his first step, his lack of ability to put pressure on the rim. He plays mm-hmm. very upright on offense for a guy who is so athletic on the defensive end of the floor. And it's it's just going to be something biomechanically that has to change with how he moves on the basketball floor to be able to get to put more pressure on the rim. But guys who, who don't do that and have trouble separating from their man one-on-one, it's really hard to be a top one or two option on the offensive end when you're like that. The, the second issue that we saw is when you are a great shooter and you need someone to put you in a position to succeed, you're somewhat dependent on your teammates to set the, the table for you. And, mm-hmm. you know, I thought Ty Ty Washington did a decent job of that. Obviously we know Dacian Nix is a really high IQ playmaker, but the rhythm was a half step off for a lot of the time what we saw in Houston. I thought Josh Christopher really ruined a lot of the ball movement and flow when he was in there for the Rockets. Um, And it's, again, it goes to show that there are going to be days when offensively, yeah, Jabari's shots not falling and he doesn't look as effective in the offensive end, but there probably can't be days when he's not getting enough quality open looks because his teammates aren't collapsing the defense or, you know, they're not uh, finding him at the right time. I think Jalen green solves a lot of those issues because he's such a athlete and we're Mm -hmm. yet to see how those two look together. But I think that this was more so, and hopefully this isn't confirmation bias on my part, but Mm. I I think what we saw is this is a little bit more of like Jabari is going to be dependent on, really good teammates to be able to set him up, put him in a position to be averaging 15 to 18 a game offensively without really having to, to work for it and just fire up a ton of shots. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a little more bullish on Jabari's offensive upside. Uh, So he was number one on my board. And I, with that being said, I will not dispute a single criticism that you have of him. I think that is all completely fair. Um, The first step is a big, big issue. Um, because it is like rather looping too. So a lot of times when guys like get into him before he can take the first step, he ends up almost like going sideways rather than toward the basket with any sort of positive momentum. Um, I'm just a big believer in his sort of work ethic and mentality, um, that I think he's going to put in as much work as possible to make these changes. And I think that 
Some of the criticisms of him were similar to ones towards Scotty Barnes last year. They're a little bit differently, but um, Scotty Barnes was like very poor at jumping in traffic and things like that. Um, like just some very basic biomechanical things really kind of hindered him as a rim finisher and things like that. So it's, it's kind of different. Um, but I just think that when you come into the league with this level of fanfare, you're going to have the right people around you to work toward these solutions. Sure. Um, so I, I do think it's something that that can come along. I really think his strength is like a massive issue right now. I think mm-hmm. it is a big, big thing that just never came up during the pre-draft process because he, he has a very hard time punishing mismatches. If he gets smaller guys on him that he can shoot over guys. Um, but it would be a lot nicer if he could take those shots closer to the basket than if everything had to be a fade away from, from 19 feet. And again, that's another area where like, the quickness could come in, where even if you can just get a couple good steps in before he goes into post work and things like that. Um, I, I did think there were some nice moments with his recognition. Uh, I thought that continued to progress uh, over the course of his college. He's in Auburn. He knows when guys are open, he can move it pretty quickly. Um, and I thought defense, I thought defensively, he was absolutely stellar. I thought he looked yeah. tremendous on defense, uh, throughout the course of the week. Um, but yeah, I mean, offensively it gets really ugly if he doesn't fix these issues. Um, and the shot isn't falling mm-hmm. because he just, he's still going to provide floor spacing, but if you want him to be a franchise changing player, he has to have things that he can do on the ball when the shot isn't falling. And right now he doesn't really have anything he does with the ball at a high level. If the shot isn't going in. Yeah, the only thing is that elbow turnaround jumper that he just shoots over the top of people. And, and again, like it, to me, that's not what you run offense for is for one guy mm-hmm. to end up with a designed elbow isolation where his only option is just to turn around and shoot quickly before a double team comes. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, you mentioned biomechanics. I'm no biomechanical expert by any mm-hmm. means. I, I said back in like January or February, I compared Jabari Smith's movements to that of uh, General Grievous from Star Wars, where he like kind <laughs> of rolls around with those legs. Like, he's very yeah. round and wide and, and kind of mm-hmm. clunky, like mechanical looking when he moves around on the floor. And I don't know how to fix it. I don't, I don't know if there is a. It's just so strange because defensively, like he gets so low and he's so quick side to side. And then offensively, it's like, why can't you do this just going forward? Like, I just, it's so strange. To me. It's like, it's well, and it's, I think that's where the, the general grievous thing like sticks in my head. Like when mm-hmm. he sticks in that stance, his knees and his legs just bow outward really, really mm-hmm. wide. And it's hard to dribble like that because the spot where you would usually put the ball down, your, your legs are there. Your knees are, are in that way. So you either have the ball way off to the side by your hip or you have no control or it's in between yeah. legs, and he's got to find some sort of a hip way to, and again, like leg strength and those things are, are hugely important. I think his hips have to be the first thing that come around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think the leg strength is huge too. Like there was a play where Chet kind of like backed him down on the block. And I thought that was really telling that it's like this whole process. We've just heard Chet's too thin, Chet's too thin. And he got positive positioning on Jabari in, inside the paint. Like he, he has some real things to work on in this game that I think go beyond like just dribbling better. Um, yeah. I feel like the handle was such a big part of the conversation with him and it, it should be, it's not yeah. good. Cause like you talked about like how he's forced to dribble. He dribbles super wide. Like yeah. everything is very, very wide when it comes to him driving toward the basket. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the, the strength, I think is just a really big issue. And I think that once the strength gets better, a lot of his offense will just come easier to him. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a, a really big factor. It's just, the patience and the development and the strength, but there are some real mechanical fixes that need to be done too. 
All right. Jaden Ivey, Benedict Matherin, five and six. Real quick, obviously, Ivey only played five quarters before, you know, spraining his ankle and having to sit out there. But some really, really positive flashes from him. I think a lot of what most people thought he would be with the ball in his hands, explosive, still needing a little more polish in both the mid-range and as a playmaker. Flashed enough shot making to be pretty impressive on that end. Um, you know, I... I just wish he got more more of a run because this was going to be a, a really crucial uh, summer league to try to get those reps on ball to show you can you know improve your timing as a playmaker, show that you can make a couple pull ups or, or runners when when teams give you that shot in the middle of the lane and and in the regular season, Cade Cunningham's going to demand the ball a lot more in those high pressure situations to where we might not see it. And then Matherin just made shots. Uh, he did what he does really well. He, he showed some glimpses of athleticism, really confident with his pull-up right now, which I love to see. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you have anything to add or thoughts on those two, but I, I thought they both no. Yeah, I thought that was spot on. It was a shame Ivy got injured in that game too because he just came out of the gate so hot in that one. And then it was like, oh, he's he's injured. Um, and you just kind of knew, like, as a precaution, they're not going to throw him back in there yeah. after that. Like, just wouldn't make any sense. Um, Matherin, yeah – and another kind of he is who he thought he was guy. Um, the pull-up shooting is looking really nice, especially in the mid-range. It was nice to see him like knock down some shots there, just coming off a pick and roll, getting at the elbow, knocking that down. Um, another guy still got to work on his handle and footwork offensively. Um, really forces himself to settle in isolation just because he can't really cook anybody. He doesn't have anything to go to. It's either a blow by or I'm just going to shoot it from really far away. Uh, like those are his only two options in isolation right now. So I uh, just got want to see continued development there, but they were both good. Yeah. Well, I think that the takeaway that I have is all six of these guys are incredibly confident and they're mm -hmm. going to let it fly. They're not going to be gun shy on offense. And I think they're all deserving of some really good roles. So you know, the top six here did not disappoint by any means. And then the rest of the top 10, like just friggin' nothing. I mean, injuries, you know, Shaden Sharp, Dyson Daniels, game one, done. Uh, Johnny mm -hmm. Davis even sprained his ankle. Jeremy Sohan didn't show up in summer league because of COVID and a hamstring issue. So not mm -hmm. a lot that we can take away from the rest of the top 10. But Max, like, who were some other rookies that you thought stood out? I mean, let's, let's just go over some guys that were were really positive takeaways from the entirety of summer league, whether it's Vegas or one of the other satellite locations. Yeah. So one of the people that, that you had listed on the run sheet is one of your guys. I'm, I'm stealing him. It's Jalen Williams. Uh, he was, when I, when I did the draft deeper show with Nathan, I, I, for my guys, Jalen Williams is one of my guys. Uh, I'm just such a huge fan of him. Uh, he, he has true three level scoring upside, uh, just a phenomenal decision maker, really good shooter in the mid range has, has a real bag can, can make any shot when he's forced to settle. Uh, if he has to throw up a floater over length, he can do it. Um, but I just thought his athleticism was so much more on display getting to play off ball. Uh, cause at Santa Clara, he basically had to function as their point guard. Yep. Um, and you would see the athleticism in transition. Like, cause I, early in the season, I felt like, Oh, this is just like a shooting guard who plays sort of an old man kind of game offensively because he has so much craft and he knows how to play with pace. Uh, but then there'd be plays where you see him in transition and he's just flying down the floor and he's leaping up and he's jamming it. And it's like, okay, like maybe he is an athlete, but, uh, and he tested really well at the combine, but getting to see him off ball and just seeing like how often he was getting dunks and how much better he looked when someone else can get the defense rotating before he touches the ball. Mm -hmm. It's just like, Oh, there is so much here to unearth that we just didn't really get to see. Cause he was, he was a star player who was a late bloomer. 
on a, a team in a, a really good uh, high major con- or you know low major con- or mid major rather conference. But yeah, I, I was just really blown away um, by how well what he does on the ball translated, but also just how natural of an off ball player he was. Yep, and, and I'll add two things to that on the the off ball discussion. It wasn't just the shooting. It wasn't just the athleticism that pops. Like when you go from being a point guard, a guy that plays with the ball in your hands a ton to more of an off ball player. I want to see if you know how to cut. And my word, was he really good at sneaking behind the defense out of the corners, mm-hmm. a couple 45 cuts that he had in there. Like he would find ways to snake in there and, and get offensive rebounds. He was just really impactful beyond what we think of in an off ball role of swings to you on the second side and you attack or knocking down shots. And, and then the other thing for me was defense. Yes. I was, I, he was really good on the defensive end. And that's where, a little bit older of a rookie with his physical tools, you really hope that he would be able to showcase that right away. And man, mm-hmm. did he really, really good for this team. I mean, going to be able to guard multiple types of positions on the wing because of his size, his length, his athleticism. Uh, I think that he's just the most scalable, like high end third or fourth option that you can find as he continues to grow into that role. I, I was so close to moving him up a little bit higher in my pre-draft stuff. And I know it sounds revisionist history now. Like I know he, I, he I ended up I think, where 16th. I had him too. So yeah, I had mm-hmm. him 16th. I was like, you know what, watching him play, like he's borderline top 10 for me. I, I thought about sliding him at nine, which would have put him mm-hmm. between Keegan Murray and Johnny Davis on my board. Mm-hmm. And I, I decided not to, because I was like, you know, I don't know as much how he plays in the off ball role, the catch and shoot numbers were pretty low at Santa Clara. I've been saying that I buy it, but I would buy it a hell of a lot more if I knew the volume was going to be high. And, mm. and this is one, like I'm, I'm okay looking like an idiot because he's, he's just so freaking good. He's so good. Yeah. And, and we still had him higher than a lot of people did. Yeah. So we can at least rest easy knowing that, uh, but to your point, like the, the defense, I was really big on his defense in college. Like I thought like that was one thing I kept seeing as a criticism of him it was like, Oh, his defense isn't that great. I'm like, what? No, no, it's fantastic. It's really good on the ball. He's so good at defending around screens and the one thing I kind of regret is I thought like he's going to be a good NBA defender. And I, I feel like I made this mistake with Iota Sumu last year where when a guy is a good college defender, but carries such a heavy offensive usage, I need to just like, keep in mind, like they're going to be even better at defense when they don't have to carry all of the same responsibility at the next level. And I think that might be a mistake I made with Jalen Williams. Well, it just- and it's funny because I think a lot of people, myself included through that, uh, through Johnny Davis into that camp. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, you know, really liked the flashes of defense and the competitiveness that he showed on that end and thinking, okay, he's going to be able to do that a lot more. That'll be his calling card when he doesn't mm-hmm. have the offensive burden. But you're right, Jalen should have been a guy that, that we discuss um, in, in being in that same camp. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Another guy, I mean, we talked Jabari Smith earlier. I thought the best Jabari in summer league was Jabari Walker. For, <laughs> yeah. Like, really again we're talking about a guy who comes in and knows his role and can do a little bit of everything he knocks down shots he competes and he rebounds he does every little toughness and energy type of play Uh, portland has nailed the margins over the last few years they've done a really nice job with trendon watford with him i love what we saw from keon johnson this summer league Mm -hmm. who was a guy i had in my top 10 a year ago like i was really high on Mm -hmm. i was really high on keon yeah Um, just the, these guys make the difference in 
whether it's rounding out your bench on a team that you hope is going to be able to make the postseason or serving as enticing trade pieces around the deadline to net you that win now type of piece that you really covet. Um, impressed all around, but with Jabari, like I kept scratching my head as we got around the draft process. Like, how is this guy not really getting consideration for late first, early second? To me, that's the perfect you know, time to pick somebody like him and uh, ended up sliding into the fifties and going to Portland, but really, really strong, well-rounded showcase from him. Yeah. I think he ended up in the late forties for me. And I, he was a guy I just didn't really see it with like prior to like right before the draft. Uh, I wrote about him in one of my columns and I was like, Oh, this guy's like a top 50 guy for sure. But it took me like literally a couple weeks before the draft to see it with him. Uh, and I think the big thing that stuck out in summer league was like, this guy can, can pass. Like yeah. he's the guy who's going to really keep things moving for you offensively. And when you're not a star player, it's so critical that you're able to do that. Um, and I don't believe his assist numbers really jump off the page in college, but it was one of those things you go back into the film and it's like, he, he was slinging some nice passes. He was creating some stuff for guys and, you know, they wouldn't always convert or whatever, but like he, he really did make his teammates better in college. Um, and just seeing him in this environment, he, he was great and he got that, you know, big multi-year contract and he, he deserves every penny of it. Yeah, he does. And, and look, Max, there are probably like 10 or 15 guys we could talk about who showed flashes of being impressive here in summer league. Um, I think flashes is probably the appropriate term for what we saw from most people. And, and it's how it's going to be with any rookie. There are highs, there are lows. You'll get, you know, a 20 something point game from Josh Minot. You'll get an explosion from JD Davison. You'll, you'll get all these different things, but the consistency is key. And that's where Jabari and uh, Jalen Williams really stood out to me is they didn't have a bad game. They were impactful throughout. Yeah. And I didn't think either of them had a bad performance. I would agree with that 100%. And I think that is what kind of separates them for me in a way. It's like, I feel comfortable with these guys taking on a rotation type spot sooner than some yeah. of these other guys. So I liked it had big moments, but it's like, all right, we need to, we need to see it more consistently. Yeah. Well, let's just go, let's go with some of those names that, you know, we've just brought up of guys mm -hmm. that showcase some of that high potential, albeit not consistently. Like I know Josh Minon is a guy whose performances out there in, in summer league, you really liked, like the shot yeah. is still, it looks a lot better. It's yeah, still, it's, it's much cleaner. Thank it's, goodness. Because it's still yeah. not quite there yet, but it's, mm -hmm. it looks better. Uh, I mean, what's your take on Minon? Yeah. So I think I ended up with him in the late thirties on my board and I kind of regret it. Cause at one point I had him as a first round guy. Um, the, the shot just scared me. Um, this is a guy who I believe made two jump shots in college. And one of them, like, as I went through on Instat and looked at all the jump shots, one of them was a banked in three. Yeah, nice. Uh, so like just working with that sample, that's not ideal. Uh, so it was one of those things where I knew you were going to have to burn the jump shot down to the ground and just rebuild it from scratch. Um, and it looks like he's, he's done that and it's okay. Um, where I think I may have undersold him is I, a lot of times you'll see people say this guy needs to be a league average shooter to stick. Um, but the reason league average is league average is because there are a lot of guys that are below average shooters in the league. And I think that really Minot to open up what he can do offensively just needs to be near average or like a little bit below average um, because he is just a potent driver and he's a shockingly good passer. Yeah. Um, and he just does so much on offense. His activity levels are through the roof. His motor is off the charts. Um, he's a guy who's, who's going to create in gray areas when 
uh, the ball is loose and somebody dives on the floor and the defense is scrambled. He's going to make a good decision with the ball. He's going to attack. Uh, he's aggressive. I really love how he moves on both ends. Um, I, I think his defense is, is fantastic. And I think he's going to be able to guard a lot of positions and he's going to provide help rim protection, which I think is a big market inefficiency right now. Um, but yeah, the, the shot looked better. And I think that's all it needs to be. I think yeah. it just needs to be almost okay. And, and he can have a long NBA career. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about flashes and I, I like the way you put that near league average. Um, I think that that's a, a great way of describing kind of where he needs to be. I am surprised by the, the feel on both ends of the floor, the processing speed. I, you know, I, I knew he was a solid passer in a lot of ways. You see that pop from time to time, but in an expanded role, how does that look? How does that look on an NBA floor in different areas? And I think, you know, I ended up with my not 30th on my board, but mm-hmm. one, of, one of the reasons feel matters a lot is how many of these high processing guys that can just make things happen on both ends of the floor end up sticking in the long run, right? Jake LaRavia was a guy who we talked about, or I talked about extensively in conversations with Sam Vecini pre-draft mm-hmm. of like, no, he's never going to run a pick and roll at the NBA level, but he knows how to keep the ball moving, how to make the right decision when he attacks a closeout. And his defensive IQ shows in, even though he's not the most athletic guy out there, he finds a way to impact the play, to get his hands on loose balls, to create deflections and do what he do what he can to you know get out and transition for somebody else. And I think Minot is similarly that type of guy. There mm-hmm. wasn't as much of a sample of seeing it because his minutes were what they were at Memphis. And, and anytime mm-hmm. you have Jalen Duran, very little floor spacing and no point guard, like Minot just, he was just out there on offense. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a great fit for him. So I'm really glad to see that the NBA game floor spacing and just his overall development popped a lot more in, in summer league. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that the other thing context wise with, with Memphis is that like his, his BPM was off the charts. Like he, yep. he was great in the minutes that he was out there. Um, but it's also like hard to know if that's going to work in a bigger role, just because it's easy to come in and play with energy. It's easy to play a really hard 15 minutes. Like you think if Jalen Duran had only had to play 15 minutes a game, what would his, you know, BPM have been how, you know, how off the charts would his per 40 numbers be if that was his role. So. Yep. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's right on. And it, Another guy, kind of similar tools, similar type of role and progression is Peyton Watson, who also flashed a lot of really positive things there in summer league. I love Peyton Watson's defensive upside. You know, he had one game where he was starting to score it a little bit more. Like he's got to get more comfortable off ball. He's got to keep working as a jump shooter. There's, there's absolutely no doubt about that. But again, flashes, Um, you know, JD Davison for the Boston Celtics flashes that final or second to last game that they played where he just went nuclear in the first half at 19. He ended up leading the entire summer league in assists per game. And yeah, like there's a, there's a guy who for all of his turnover issues, for all of the lack of pull-up shooting that he possesses for how much I think he just lucks into assists sometimes because like his overall manipulation in the defense isn't very high level. Like he's productive with the ball in his hands at times. He still averaged four assists a game coming off the bench as kind of the second or third creative option for Alabama last year. This is a guy who can just make things happen. And I was for all three of these guys who had major flaws, who didn't have traditional pathways and frustrating blockades, getting them to the NBA, despite obvious first round caliber talent, really glad Mm -hmm. to see all three of those guys go out there and just play well. 
So just real quick, a question I get for you on the Peyton Watson front that yeah, I'm just intrigued by. As so, as somebody who is a coach, like what do you see his offensive role being in the half court? Like, yeah. it, it, what is the idealized Peyton Watson offensive half court role? Because that's like the one thing that I've always sort of struggled with, with with him, and it's why I ended up a little bit lower on him than than consensus. No, I, I totally uh, understand that. Like, I think where he is most comfortable right now is with the ball in his hands, creating mm-hmm. and having a long enough leash to be able to back guys down physically, play more in the mid range with pull ups, things of that nature. He's a, a he's a very good passer. I, I do believe that Peyton Watson is going to be an above average passer. Um, I don't know what the best usage of him is other than, you know, I think that if he continues to develop his feel that there is a mini Kyle Anderson type of role in there as a ball mover, a secondary type of guy, but his IQ is very far away from that right now. And he's nowhere Mm -hmm. near the type of shooting threat to the point Mm -hmm. where I don't think that that matters as much. Um, that would be if all of his skills continue to develop the way I would hope they do, where I would see him ending up kind of most intriguingly, but I agree with you. Like right now, there's not an NBA role for him on the offensive end of the floor, because what he does well is not something he does well enough to merit that type of, of usage. That's interesting. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting answer. I like the Kyle Anderson comp because usually that's just somebody that people compare like subpar athletes to and not somebody right. that is like the polar opposite. That's I, that's, that's interesting. I, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any other guys here on, on this list that, uh, that you thought stood out and you see the long-term kind of upside from that are outside that top 10. Um, yeah, I thought Ochai was, was pretty interesting. Like didn't have crazy field goal percentages or anything like that, but like, it's very obvious. He's just a very good athlete. He looks super fast out there on a more spread court where you don't have just a big man sitting under the basket. Like you did all the time at Kansas. Um, but I just, I, I think that he's going to in a simplified offensive role, he's going to knock down those shots. The cutting is going to work even better on an NBA floor. Like that's the one thing that we can get to see a ton of in summer league, but he was very good at at Kansas and just seeing him move on an NBA floor. It's like, all right, I, I see where this is going to go. I like it. I'm still comfortable with you being taken there. Yep. Yeah, I think that's fair. And again, very, um, I don't want to call him a low risk type of prospect, but mm-hmm. like the game that he showed at, at Kansas translates very well to the NBA. And because mm-hmm. of that, I think we, we saw that on display. We know he's athletic. We know he knocks down shots. Hopefully the Cavs don't ask him to do too, too much more. And yeah, everything's, yeah, everything's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he'll need to either, which is a nice, nice thing about that team. Was there anyone else on, on your kind of short list that popped out there? You know, I mean, I thought, again, like guys like Bryce McGowan's, Jaden Hardy, like they, they have good scoring performances and then they kind of disappear for a stretch in time. Like Blake Wesley had a couple nice games, then he goes three of 17. Like it's, yeah. it's about efficiency. It's about, I think all of these guys showed enough to say they belong in an NBA development program of being a priority to see if they can turn into somebody that's reliably scoring on a nightly basis. Um, but they're just not ready for that type of role yet. Yeah, Wesley in particular was the guy where like the sh- I thought his shot looked good. It looked more consistent as in looking the same every time, which was an issue for him at Notre Dame. But he just has nothing at the rim. Like he does not jump. Like he gets by guys and he just shoots a layup from the ground and guys block it. 
often. Um, so he's really got to figure that out. But I thought like his playmaking and everything like that had, had looked better and he was keeping his head up on drives a lot better than he did Notre Dame. So like, I'm, I'm still really interested in him as a long-term guy, but yeah, nail on the head. I thought that like, he's just, there's not guys that you throw on the floor immediately and expect a lot out of. No, no, not at all. Uh, were, were there any guys that gave you any concern, whether the first year, second year guys, like just you were expecting more from, or there was one key area that they really needed to nail to be able to get on the floor at the NBA level. And they just didn't do it. Um, there, so the first one that jumped out to me is the second year guy was Jared Butler, who like I had a lottery grade on a year ago. Um, yeah, it kills me. Like I, I absolutely love Jared Butler coming out. Um, just thought he was a phenomenal playmaker who's really scalable because he can shoot so well and he's comfortable playing off the ball and he's a really good defender and things like that. And the shots are just not falling for him. He looks a step slow and I don't know. It just, it just seems like the confidence isn't all the way there. He just doesn't, doesn't feel like the same guy. I, I really thought he was going to come out and like dominate and yeah. be at a point where it's like, he is either going to be calmly six man or if calmly is out of town, they might be able to, throw him spot starter minutes and things like that. I really expected a big leap from him. Uh, and he looked like a guy who might not be an NBA player. And I, and I, I absolutely hate to say that because uh, I'm such a huge fan of him and with everything he's like dealt with and gone through too, I, I desperately want him to succeed. Uh, so it was, it, that was, that was the one that like kind of got to me the most out of anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that one in Sharif Cooper for me, like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he just, it's not, the Sharif Cooper that I remember seeing pre-draft where he's thinking way too much on the basketball floor. He's not knocking down shots. Like he, he, there's something just going on there. Um, and, and I don't know what it is, but he, he didn't impress me in a lot of those ways too. Um, you know, rookie wise, like I struggled watching Usman Jang a little bit with, with Oklahoma city. Um, yeah. And look, they have enough picks in their arsenal to, swing and miss on eight guys and still be able to win an NBA title <laughs> in the next decade. But mm-hmm. they traded up a pretty considerable uh, sum of future picks to be able to, to get Usman Jang. And I, I understood it from a timeline process. I understood it from a, Hey, here's another just big higher IQ type of guy. And that seems to mm-hmm. be what they're going on. Like checking those two boxes first and foremost. I've really struggled evaluating him as a shooter. Um, and I didn't know how to contextualize the late season run that he went on. I think we saw a lot of those shooting issues come up here in, uh, in summer league, not just in terms of that they didn't go in, but his form changes all the time. And, uh, I didn't think that he played deep enough behind the three-point line. I thought he was towing the line a little bit, didn't give him space to really get his feet underneath him on some of those shots. His release was sometimes here, sometimes straight up, sometimes to the other side. Like he's he's all over the place in that regard and and just not a very physical type of player. You know, we talk about rim pressure a lot here mm-hmm. today. Um, you know, guys like Jabari Smith being able to put pressure on the rim, Blake Wesley not finishing well when he gets there you have to be able to be a credible threat at the rim. If you're going to collapse defenses and play with the ball in your hands, you just have to. And, and Jang does not have that. Uh, he, he doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. And he's long, he's wiry, he's a smart passer, but I keep going back to, and, and, you know, I got to find the right balance between this because I'm on different ends of the pendulum, depending on the year. But if you're going to be a high IQ passer or playmaker, 
you have to be able to score the ball and be a credible threat. Otherwise you're not collapsing the defense enough to make those types of kicks and reads. And, and I'm just, I'm not there right now on Jang. He has the vision. He has some of the ball handling stuff, obviously a lot to tighten up, but yeah, if that's going to be his ideal role, like I don't see the shooting. I don't see the rim pressure. I don't know how he scores it at an NBA level. Yeah. And he's another one of those guys where like, there is the very, scary hypothetical that like if he just gets stronger it might all get a lot easier for him um but i i don't know like the last time i was here we talked about usman chang and i i've kind of been lower on him throughout this entire thing because i just i don't i don't really see the doggedness in him i just don't see him as somebody who really wants to engage with physicality somebody who wants to get all the way to the basket somebody who's willing to body up guys on defense and I've just been sort of lower on, on every aspect of his game than a lot of the consensus. And I think that the biggest thing that scares me with him, I, I still, you know, came out with like a top, top 20 grade on him um, was because I, I do think he, he's had such an odd basketball journey. Um, like he basically played on an Academy team against pros as like a teen. So like he wasn't really in a position to succeed there. Uh, was thrown on the worst team in NBA history last year and just fed to the wolves. Uh, so like, it's just so he's tricky to evaluate and, uh, a six ten guy who can do some of the things with the ball that he can and play with such fluidity. Um, the scary thing with, to me with Jang has always been that what he is best at, you have to be really good at in order to get to play that role at the NBA level. Um, if you're not scoring at a high level, if you're not, um, you know, he, he turned the ball over a lot. It was another thing too. Like he makes some really impressive passes, but he's not always really consistent as a decision maker yet. Um, he's not going to get all the way to the hoop. If the three point shot is something I have never really totally bought with him. Uh, and if you're not doing those things and you're not able to do those things, then you have to play off the ball. And he, he just doesn't have a lot to offer there because as you mentioned, he's not very physical. He's not looking to cut. He's not going to finish through contact. There's all these other issues that arise if he doesn't get to play his idealized role and you have to be very good to play that role. Uh, so it, it's just a very, he's on a tightrope is as far as his development he's really got to nail some of these things in order to to stick or or he could change his game too so yeah yeah any other disappointing guys you want to hit on real quickly uh christian brown was another one for me where um it's it's a lot of the things that i feel like i i saw on tape where he he does a good job of like competing like he's not a guy who if his shot isn't falling he's just gonna take himself out of the game he's he's gonna play hard he's gonna find ways to impact the game um, but again, another guy similar to Jabari Smith, a very looping first step to attack closeouts. Um, and the shot wasn't going in in his offensive game. It, it's just a lot harder for him at yeah. this level when the shot isn't going in versus in college because he he can still create a little bit more in transition in college. He's a good enough passer that he can keep defenses on their toes. Um, but just scaling up, um, it's so much harder for him to get those advantages. He, he really needs the shot to fall. Yeah. And I mean, he shot 12 and a half percent for the summer mm-hmm. league, which I mean, he's a much better shooter than that. It's a, a yeah, four, yeah. four or four or five games. And I agree with you. Like the other stuff is concerning, but I think when the shots going in, if guys are closing out at him a little bit tighter, he'll have just a sliver of more space to be able to put the ball mm-hmm. on the floor and make some of those decisions. But he played smaller than I remember seeing at Kansas. Um, and that was, that was a little bit concerning for me when it came to Brown. Yeah. I, th- I think that's, that's fair. Um, and I, yeah, I would have liked to have seen a little more defensively from him too. Um, just cause I think that is an area where I actually think he's, he's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's one of those things where like, 
the the NBA is so competitive, and there's so many guys that when you aren't a rotation player, there's so many guys just chomping at the bit to to take your spot that if you go through a rough couple of weeks where that shot isn't going in, like you really need to find other ways to contribute or you find yourself outside of a rotation and it just becomes much harder to stick at that point. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. So, well, you'd mentioned, you know, Jared Butler and, and we'd got to talking about a couple of non rookies there. So let's mm-hmm. wrap up the pod by going into some of those older guys that, you know, second time around here in Vegas, they have an NBA season under their belt. Mm-hmm. We were looking for areas of growth and improvement from all of these guys to be able to move into a rotation so let's just frame it in that regard. Like who leaves summer league best positioned to move into a large or larger role with their current NBA team? I mean, let's let's put aside the Knicks for a second because like okay, those yeah, guys, yeah, yeah. those guys all they did all like, like earned a yeah, shot. Yeah. They did. Quentin Grimes hundred percent is ready for that. Like Deuce McBride, ready for that. Jericho, ready for that. Um, mm-hmm. so let's let's push the Knicks aside because they were. Awesome. Like those, those three guys were three of the best. If there were an all-star team coming out, I think all three would be on it. So yeah. uh, who, who else do you got there of, of taking a big leap to be ready for, for year two? So it's a tough ask because he's on a team that just won a title. Uh, but Moses Moody is a guy that I adore. Uh, he was number five on my board last year. I am a huge believer in Moses Moody. Um, I just really love his shot making package. This is a guy who uh, just has a lot of ways that he can score the ball and make difficult shots. And he has no issue scaling down. If you just need him to catch and shoot, he'll do it. Uh, I always thought it was really telling in the pre-draft process last year, the way that Eric Musselman talked about him, like coaches are always gassing their guys up, but he talked about Moses Moody. Like he would die for that man. Like he just had a level of passion for Moses Moody that I loved, uh, but he has so much length. Uh, on the defensive side too, that, uh, you know, Golden State, they, they end up playing a lot of smaller lineups because they have guys like Poole and Curry who, who don't have a ton of positional size. And I, I really think there's going to be some opportunities for Moses Moody. Um, he, he just has so much to offer uh, in a variety of roles. And I really just think his ceiling is still sky high. I think when he gets a chance to, to put the ball on the floor a little bit more, uh, I, I don't think he got to show as much of his decision-making as he did in the G right. league last year, but I really trust him as a guy to just keep it moving and to even make passes and make good reads when he attacks closeouts. Uh, but he, he just looked a cut above, uh, yeah. I thought as far as just a guy who, who can shoot the ball and score. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, with, with Moody, he is a prime example of what another year of physical development and maturity and growth looks like, because he was a lot more skinny and wiry a year ago than he is right mm-hmm. now. His body has started to fill out more and he uses that he's getting to the free throw line a ton. He's much more aggressive attacking downhill, or at least he's getting the benefit of those calls. Cause you know, he's absorbing that contact a little bit more on a drive as opposed to just on the finish. So, uh, I agree. I, I love, I love Moses Moody and, and think that the golden state warriors were big winners of summer league because, you know, Kaminga wasn't great um, by any means, but I think he was out there trying to pr- play a different role than what he's going to be asked to do in the NBA. Yeah. And we got to see Wiseman who for flashes like looked okay and mm-hmm. have all of these young players on, on their roster, just waiting in the wings and being ready to give you rotational minutes for the defending champions they're they're doing really well right now. Mo- Moses Moody's a great one. 
great, great, great one to put there. I, I liked Keon Johnson for Portland a lot. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned him earlier. So I, I didn't get to, see, I didn't get to see as much Portland as I would have liked. So okay. what are the big steps that you saw from Keon? Because I liked Keon too, not as much as, as you did, but I liked him last year. Um, so what have been the big kind of changes? Because he was a guy who struggled in in summer league and, and the G League and things like that last season. Yeah, shot looked a lot better. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. going in helps a shot look better, but I think he looks more confident in his form is there you know, bulldoze guys and use his athleticism as a driver. One of my main complaints about Keon at Tennessee was for as athletic as he is, he settles for a lot of the like eight to 16 foot range. He loves to, you know, reverse pivot and take a fade away instead of finishing at the basket. He was getting to the rim a lot more. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I think that that was a, a positive step for him. More playmaking for others is still a little bit needed. Like, there's some feel that's not a hundred percent clicked with him yet with the ball in his hands, but he is knocking on the door of being a rotation player in the NBA because we know how athletic he is. I think there's no question he can defend on ball really, really well. And you know, if the offensive stuff is clicking where he's putting pressure on the rim and he's knocking down shots, uh, he's, he's ready to come in and do something. Yeah. And I think he's, he's a nice kind of, backcourt compliment to whoever they're going to play because like if they go with a lineup with like simons at the one or if he's out there with lillard like he can take the tougher guard assignment um and those guys are both prolific shooters so it's going to give him you know more room to cut they've added some shooting on the wing and even with a guy like you know keon's smaller but having another wing like shaden sharp who you might not really trust much defensively out of the gate if you're going to try and give rotation mitts to him just having having keon having another guy that you know can can take some of those defensive responsibilities and provide some other things on that end it it helps a lot yep. uh, he has some, something real to offer um as he develops just from a, a fit standpoint alone now the turnovers were a little bit out of hand uh he okay. did he averaged about five a game and that's way too high but I, again yeah I, I always say that for a lot of these teams summer league is giving somebody primary responsibility reps that wouldn't otherwise get it just to see do mm-hmm. we have something here what, how do they react to this? If not, okay, that's fine. But how many guys that are running the point or playing with the ball in their hands most of the time in summer league are really going to be asked to do that in the NBA? So it's a it's an experimental ground. I think that's why he got a little bit more in that role. He's definitely not there, but he can knock down shots. He's getting to the rim a little bit more. And like you said, the defense fits so well next to who they have in the backcourt that I, I think that if he understands and knows his role, He's going to be solid on that. And I also want to give one shout out to Isaiah Livers because I thought mm-hmm. that I was impressed by him um, knowing that Detroit needs floor spacing. We talk, yeah. we talk a lot about these role players, guys like Jabari Walker or Keon Johnson, you know, Isaiah Livers here. You have to know exactly how what we see in summer league is going to translate around the pieces that they have on their roster at the NBA. And that's where with Detroit, they just need floor spacing. Cade, Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, like surround them with shooters, please. For the long term, mm-hmm. for the short term, surround them with shooters. I, I have one quick diatribe. I have to go on here, Max. Do it. Yeah, let's do it. How many times do we see teams undergo a rebuilding process and be one of the last two or three in the league in terms of three-point percentage? Like every like, rebuilding yeah. process seems yeah. to have that. Mm-hmm. If you were trying to set up your young players to succeed, you need to give them shooters and floor space. Yeah. 
And one mm-hmm. thing I am pleased with with Detroit right now is they are making a priority to go out there and get some of those guys that livers can play that role. I thought the Kelly O'Linux signing last summer, right after they drafted Kate Cunningham, yeah. was the exact example of Troy Weaver kind of understanding we can't be clogging the lane for this guy. We need him to develop those reps early on and understand how he's going to get to the basket on the, the floor that we want spaced ideally. And, mm-hmm. and I'm really impressed with Detroit for how they've emphasized getting those types of role players in town. I agree. And I think Livers was like, he was like the perfect second round pick. And I think too often, a lot of these rebuilding teams to your same point. And I wrote about this with Tyrese Martin. Um, but I think too many rebuilding teams, when they pick in the second round, they're like, let's just take another swing. Let's take another swing. And it's like, all right, well, at a certain point, like you need to have guys that might just grow into a role. Um, and it's really hard to devote the proper developmental attention to so many different players that sometimes it's nice to just have a guy who knows what he is. And that's what Livers says. He's, he's a guy who has a very good understanding of what he is as a basketball player. Uh, and it's why I liked the idea of like a rebuilding team, even taking Tyrese Martin, who's like the senior, he's a guy who's graduated, but he's, he's going to space the floor. He's only going to dribble when he absolutely needs to, or if it's transition and he's going to compete hard and he's going to rebound. And that's how livers is. Like, he's a guy who's just going to offer the exact things that he knows he can do to a team that needs those things. And he's not going to overstep those bounds. He's not going to overstep toes. He's going to be low maintenance and he's going to produce for you. And he's going to make your young stars lives a lot easier for it. Yeah, no doubt about it. I was I was impressed with him. I think Detroit's off to a great start. Look, a lot of these young rebuilding teams have had phenomenal off seasons or, or a great last month there. I think Oklahoma City clearly moving in the right direction. Anytime you get Chet, SGA, and Giddy, and then like Jalen Williams looks like the steal of the draft there. Uh, you know, Detroit playing really really well with that young core. I think is going to carry them into the future. Like what Houston has on their roster. Really yeah. love Orlando, nailing Paolo Bancaro. Mm-hmm. He looks like a franchise game changer for them. A, a lot of teams moving in the right direction here. And Summer League was a fantastic period for us all to, to really get a first glimpse into what these guys are going to look like. And again, very few guys disappointed, especially the young guys. I think it's worth noting there were highs, there were lows, there were areas to see in everybody. But all of the young guys, be patient with them. Like I'm, I'm a big patience, patience, patience guy. Yeah, give it time. Uh, but a lot of really good flashes from the top six from Jalen and some of the other guys that we mentioned here. So. Yeah, I, I'm I'm just so excited to see some of these young teams take these steps. Like I just I love I love what they did. I love Detroit, um, you know, really focusing on on fit for Cade and upping their athleticism, because that was the other thing with them. It's not only the floor spacing. It's just like the one guy who was a real up and down threat on their team with Saban Lee. And I like Saban Lee, but I'm just not sure that you want to task him with that level of responsibility given what he is. So getting a guy like Jaden Ivey in the door, Jalen Duran, like now you don't have an athleticism problem anymore. Uh, so I, I just thought a lot of these young teams handled their off seasons really well. Yeah, no doubt about it. Max, thank you again for coming on. You know, you're always welcome here. You do an unbelievable work over there uh, with, with Draft Defer and, and all the stuff that you're throwing out is, is a must read for us on a weekly basis. So why don't you let the people know where can they find you and, and what stuff yeah. do you have coming out here the rest of the summer? I appreciate it. So we've got, this is a, a very busy week for me. So my uh, first, my Twitter handle is at Boundboards. It's B-A-U-M, boards, like draft boards. 
Uh, so tomorrow I'm doing draft deeper with Nathan. We're going to do a re-tiering of the 2020 NBA draft, which holds a special place in my heart because that was the first draft where I was like fully really into to following the draft process. Uh, so I'm super excited about that one. Uh, no written work from me this week. You can normally find my written work at noceilingsnba.com and you can follow at noceilingsnba on Twitter. But next week, uh, you're going to see the, the fruits of the work that I'm doing this week. Uh, got, got two credentials uh, for this week. So I'm going to be at the Under Armour Finals in Chicago, which I'm very excited about. And then we've also got the uh, Prep Hoops, the Circuit, the Last Dance. So they've got their finals going on five minutes from my house, which is incredibly convenient for me. Uh, so I'm able to hit up two big grassroots events this weekend, uh, see some incoming seniors and some younger guys as well. So really excited to get out to those events, put in the, the, the ground floor work on the scouting, and we'll have some work on that early next week. Uh, we're going to have to talk then about Chicago because we got a lot of guys that mm -hmm. I have my eye on that are heading out there. So uh, again, love to for see sure. put, putting in the work on the future scouting and getting out with the younger generation. But if you're not following Max already, at Boundboards, find him, follow him. Like all of the work is is really, really high quality and, and really thrilled again to, to have him join in the pod here with us. So Max, thank you so much for joining us here. Always a pleasure to be with you and for all of you listeners and watchers out there. Thank you for staying with us and a, a gentle reminder that we are almost there, folks. The hashtag ban the take foul.